0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony
1: Perkins. Well, good afternoon. Welcome to Washington Watch, the show where we dive into the pressing issues facing our nation, discuss them with depth, insight, and a commitment to truth. I'm your host, Tony Perkins, and I'm thrilled to be with you today as we navigate the currents of Washington's politics and policy. Well, in the coming hour, we'll unpack the headlines and decode the rhetoric. From Capitol Hill to Main Street, we'll explore the stories shaping our country's future and impacting you and your family. Well, congressional leaders met at the White House earlier today to discuss border, budget and bullets for Ukraine.
2: When I showed up today, my purpose was to express what I believe is the obvious truth, and that is that we must take care of America's needs first. When you talk about America's needs, you have to talk first about our open border.
1: That was House Speaker Mike Johnson after he met with President Biden one on one following the larger meeting of congressional leaders. Meanwhile, Republican leaders in the Senate are pressuring Speaker Johnson to preemptively wave a white flag in the budget and border battle and get on with business as usual.
2: Not only do we not want to shut the government down, we don't want the Russians to win in Ukraine. And so we have a time problem here, and the best way to move quickly. And get the bill to the president would be for the House to take
3: up the Senate bill and pass it.
1: Yeah, we always have a time problem. It's always that way. It's designed to be that way. But there are some Republican senators that are pushing back, like Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson.
3: I think our policy ought to be,
4: how do we start reducing tensions in the world? And I would argue that the best way to do that is for America to be strong. And it starts with addressing our debt and deficit. It's out of control. It starts with securing our borders, not letting military age men from China, from 150 different countries all over the world, into
2: our country.
1: We're going to get the latest on the debate from another senator who is supporting conservative efforts in the House. Florida Senator Rick Scott joins us in just a moment. Well, yesterday's interview with Todd Binsman about illegal immigration and how illegals are being enticed to come into the U.S. with government benefits stirred a lot of interest. So we're going to dive deeper into the topic and explore what government funds and services are being provided to those who illegally, illegally enter our country. We're going to talk with Ira Melman with the Federation for American Immigration Reform. And guess what? The left believes they've latched on to another political winner via the Alabama Supreme Court decision that ruled that frozen embryos of children are, in fact, children.
5: I warned that red states would come for IVF, and now they have. But they aren't just going to stop in Alabama. Mark my words, if we don't act now, it will only get worse. That's why tomorrow I'm headed to the Senate floor to call on my colleagues to pass, via unanimous consent, my Access to Family Building Act.
1: That was Senator Tammy Duckworth of Illinois earlier today. As usual, they're leaving out a few facts. Actually, a lot of facts. We'll talk about it with Eric Johnson, president of the Alabama Pro-Life Coalition. And we're going to revisit the comments of political national investigative correspondent Heidi Prisabella, which she made last Friday on MSNBC.
6: And the one thing that unites all of them, because there's many different groups orbiting Trump, but the thing that unites them as Christian nationalists, not Christians, by the way, because Christian nationalists is very different, Mm -hmm. is that they believe that our rights as Americans, as all human beings, don't come from any earthly authority. They don't come from Congress. They don't come from the Supreme Court. They come from God. The problem with that is that they are determining man, (laughs) men, Mm -hmm. it is men, are determining what God is telling them.
1: Now... There are two explanations for this. Either Heidi does not know American history and our founding documents, or she believes enough Americans are ignorant of our history that she can get away with such an outlandish statement. Well, she can't get away with it here. We're going to talk about why this matters. David Clawson, director of FRC Center for Biblical Worldview, will join me later. All right, before we dive in, let's remember the bedrock principles that guide us, faith, family, and freedom. And these are not just words, but values that form the foundation of our nation's greatness. So whether you're joining us from the heart of D.C. or from the heartland of America, I encourage you to stand up, speak up, and be a part of the solution. Well, as I mentioned earlier today, leaders from both chambers of Congress, including House Speaker Mike Johnson, trekked to the White House for a sit-down with President Biden to discuss government funding as well as supplemental spending for Ukraine. Now, the meeting took place just days before Friday's deadline for a partial government shutdown, leaving many to ask, can Congress avoid a government shutdown? And will a continuing resolution emerge as the best spending stopgap measure? Well, joining me now to discuss this is Senator Rick Scott from Florida. He serves on four Senate committees, including the Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Government Affairs and the Senate Budget Committee. Senator Scott, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to see you.
3: It's always great to be with you. Being on budget, wouldn't you think we would, like, do something about the budget? Yes. We don't. Let's talk about I mean, that. I mean, here's the way it works up here. Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell decide, you know, what? this is what we're going to do. We're not going to let you have amendment votes. We've decided we're not going to take it through a committee. We're not going to do any of that stuff. It'd be too much, like, work. So what we're going to do is we're not going to have a budget. We're just going to, every so often, we'll have a deadline. We'll create an artificial deadline. And then we're going to cram down a big omnibus with lots of earmarks for our friends and, and family and all that stuff. And then, then, and if you don't vote for it, then you want to shut down government. So you're, you're, boy, you're just a bad person because you hate government.
1: And, so, and, and then, and it doesn't take too long. And then we have thirty-four trillion dollars in debt as a result.
3: shocking! I mean, think about, think about. It. McConnell and Schumer have been up here forever, right? I think when they came up here, the debt was less than five trillion. Now we have thirty, almost thirty-five trillion. We got high inflation. We're spending more in interest expense than we are on the defense budget. I mean, so this doesn't make any sense. But look, this is all orchestrated, and here's what they did. Take the supplemental, right? The so-called supplemental, which is gonna do all these great things. Did they talk to the speaker about it? No, that would that like I think we have a majority in the House. Republicans have a majority in the House. So shouldn't we take their lead instead of taking Chuck Schumer's lead? But what Mitch McConnell's been doing is he's, he's on Chuck Schumer's side. So he, he'll organize whatever votes it takes to, to do whatever Chuck Schumer wants to get done. And so that's how we get the debt, how we get no border security. Think about it. McConnell negotiated, what, three or four months without telling any of us anything about this unbelievable border bill except that he left out one issue, the border security. No border security. He had a good immigration bill, maybe. He had some good things in there about immigration, maybe. He even agreed with some of those. But did it require the Biden administration to secure the border, which they could do today? Trump did it with the existing law. They could do it today, and Joe Biden won't do it. And this bill that Mitch McConnell negotiated with Chuck Schumer behind closed doors, which is how it works up here, then, then, then when we said no way, then now we're the problem because we actually expect real border security and a president that's actually going to secure the border.
1: So, Senator Rick Scott, let me get this straight. All right. So our viewers and our listeners understand this. We have 100 members of the United States Senate, two from each state. Uh, and that's really the that's really the serious chamber. I mean, they're supposed to do the hard work and that's where everybody kind of talks and works through these issues theoretically and, and and so you're telling me sounds good Tony that sounds like a really well I, I read that in the book back when I was in high school so but let, let's talk about the, the budget process so there's a there's committees that work through these things they they get uh, you know they over have oversight of these various agencies to make sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing and so they collaborate they get together and they're supposed to come up with budget numbers but what you're telling me is that you have two guys the uh, Chuck Schumer, who is the majority leader, slim majority, and Senator McConnell, who's supposed to be representing the Republicans, get together and just cut out all the other senators, which is not only offensive, should be offensive to you, but that's offensive to your, to to all the people of Florida who elected you to come up and represent them.
3: Right. So do I get an amendment vote? Oh, no, we don't even vote on it. All we have is those two guys come up with a big spending bill. Not even, not even what came out of Appropriations Committee. But what we should do is, that's great. We have an Appropriations Committee. Let's let's vote on what they came up and let all of us propose our amendments. If I if I can't talk a majority of the Republicans or Democrats uh, together into my amendment, it's my fault. But not giving me an opportunity to do that, and I just have but- to vote. Yes or no? But we don't even do that. Yeah, that that's crazy. We don't even
1: take that bill. I mean, that, that is not the way government is supposed to work. Even state legislatures work that way, uh, where, there, where there's collaborative efforts, and you people have the opportunity to represent their constituents on this. So, l- let me let me jump to 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 the bottom line here, Senator Scott. The House and I have, I have a conversation. I've had multiple conversations with the Speaker. I mean, they are dug in on the on the border. I mean, I, I do not think that you're going to get a bill through there unless the border issue is dealt with, and it doesn't sound like there's the will among Senate leaders to do that. Are we headed for a government shutdown?
3: If we have a government shutdown, you can look at two people and say they caused it: Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell, right? Because they 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 have they don't care about it. I mean, now that you heard what Mitch McConnell said, oh, just pass the supplemental, right. nothing about border security. If you go do a poll and ask Americans what do they care about, they want a secure border. They're tired of the drugs coming in. They're tired of the criminals, the terrorists, the human traffickers. They don't want any of that.
1: Upper Upper 70% of Americans want that issue addressed.
3: Right. And so, but not up here. It's like, we should represent the people of my state. So I represent Florida. I go all around my state and ask people what they care about. You know what they care about? Number one issue, border security. Yeah. Number one. By far, poor security is even higher than inflation, and so. But do I even have an opportunity to to come up with my bill to do it? No. You
1: don't even have a chance to have a vote on a an amendment to a bill. You you either take it or leave it as they lay it out there before you, and the only way, probably the only way that we can get. some attention on this is if republicans conservative republicans in the house draw a line and say we're not going any further and if it results in a government shutdown maybe maybe we could see some movement on this
3: if there is now i i don't know anybody wants to no, i i shutdown, I, get that. I, be- I get that i get that you look at Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell, they made that decision. They made the decision that they didn't care about the biggest issue in this country. They're hell-bent on giving money to Ukraine with no accountability right about the border security right. we're to secure we're secure their border
1: but not ours but, uh, and i'm not advocating for a government shutdown i, I don't think i don't think that's good yeah. but i'm just saying if if that's the only option that conservatives have to bring attention to this out of control dysfunctional government then 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 that's what we're left with
3: i i mean it makes you so mad who wants government shutdown i don't know any republican that does we but we you know what we want our government to yes. work their job, secure our border keep us safe that's a it's a clear and present danger ron johnson has been an unbelievable uh, leader he ran home Security. he knows the issue he fights it every day we need to listen to him this is a clear and present danger to right. every one of us in our
1: you know sometimes senators you know it takes tough love uh and you you got to make tough decisions to get people to pay attention to what's going on and i think You know, we've just kind of gone along with this for years. Maybe it's time, a little bit of tough love from conservatives. Senator, out of time. Always great to see you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us and for being in the fight.
3: All right. Take care. All right,
1: right, folks. After the break, House Speaker Mike Johnson once again called for the Biden administration to address the border crisis. Okay, But what is the cost of this crisis to the American taxpayers? And, and, And what... Benefits. We talked about this a little bit yesterday, and it astounded some people. The enticement that the government's putting out there with benefits for people to come into this country illegally, and guess what? You're paying for it. We're going to talk about that next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away.
7: Get this free guide at frc.org slash pro to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives.
1: All right, welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us on this Tuesday. All right, as I've said many times before, our republic was made for participants, not spectators. And uh, we've got work for you. All right. Need you to weigh in on the border issue. Text the word border to six, seven, seven, four, two. That's a petition that we're going to deliver to the Republican leadership in the House to encourage them to stand firm on the border. Text the word border to six, seven, seven, four, two. Well, as the Biden administration's mishandling of the southern border continues, immigration experts now peg the total number of illegal immigrants within the United States somewhere around 16, 17 million. Now, that's on top of what was already here before the Biden administration opened the floodgates. Now, a report from the Federation of American Immigration Reform finds that taxpayers spend approximately $182 billion to cover the cost incurred from illegal immigrants at the federal, state, and local levels. Now, those pushing for open borders often speak of, well, the taxes are being paid by illegal immigrants. But that number is estimated to be a mere $32 billion in taxes to offset the staggering expenses. Now, clearly, those taxes paid, primarily sales taxes, are not satisfying the mayors of sanctuary cities like New York who want the federal government to bail them out. Well, joining now to uh, help better understand these numbers is Ira Melman, direct media director at the Federation for American Immigration Reform. Ira, welcome to Washington Watch. Good to see you. Thanks very much. So tell us about the, the, the benefits. All right. Someone, let me give you a scenario. Someone crosses the, the border illegally into the United States. They're detained. Then they're released. Are, are they on their own? What 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 services, government services, resources are made available to them?
2: Well, there are all sorts of services, and I think we can point now to New York City as a prime example of what happens once people get to the United States illegally. Uh, the city is on the hook for providing housing. For everybody who shows up. Uh, any child who is in this country is entitled to a taxpayer-funded K-12 education. Uh, you know, we are a decent humanitarian people. We're not going to allow people with medical needs to go untreated. Uh, people use basic services, sanitation, uh, all, all of those things. This costs a lot of money, uh, and th- these are not accounted for when people talk about the fact that you know they're they're not getting direct welfare benefits in many cases. Uh, some of them are, but most of them are not. But it doesn't matter whether you're getting direct welfare benefits. Just the societal costs of having you here amount to huge amounts of money. Uh, Recently, a a councilwoman in New York City said that New York is now spending more on care of the migrants than they are spending on police, fire and sanitation combined, Uh, $12 billion that they budgeted between now and the end of 2025. That is a staggering amount of money.
1: So you talk about welfare benefits, and I do think that if um, an illegal couple that are, are any illegal. That's area that has children born in the United States. That child then is uh, uh, can get welfare benefits. So that's provided. Yes. But I, I was my, my daughter is an ER nurse, um, and I, I know that as you mentioned, health we 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 have a law here you have to anybody comes into an ER and you got you got to help them, and, and 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 that's a part of who we are as, as Americans. But about one fifth of the uninsured population are illegal immigrants that are in this country. I mean that's putting a strain on our healthcare system, is it not?
2: It, it is. It's putting a strain on our healthcare system. And and by the way, we are we are paying for it in myriad different ways. Uh you know in many cases they'll go to public hospitals, which is paid for by the taxpayers but even those of us who have private health insurance the hospitals eat part of the cost but a lot of it they're passing along to the insured patients so our premiums are going up I, you know i think anybody who has private health insurance knows that the the, the price keeps going up year after year Part of that is driven by the fact that we, as insured patients, subsidize those people who are not insured. And as you point out, a growing number of those people are in the country illegally.
1: Now, some states, like California, uh, are actually providing a lot more services and cash benefits to to illegals. But is isn't a lot of that being offset by federal funds?
2: They are— deciding on their own. Uh, you know, Under the, uh, the Affordable Care Act, illegal aliens were not eligible for taxpayer-subsidized health insurance programs. And that was deliberate. Uh, when they, they negotiated that bill back in 2010, that was a deliberate omission. They said illegal aliens are not going to be eligible. Now you have states like California—which, which, by the way, are facing huge budget deficits of their own—deciding that they are going to use state taxpayer money in order to subsidize health care for illegal aliens. So so you know, again, these this is money that the state doesn't have to begin with. Number two, it is money that could be used for other services that American citizens uh, and legal residents need. Uh, instead, it is now going to subsidize health care insurance for people who are in the country illegally.
1: Uh, Ira, if I'm not mistaken, in the in the bill that the Biden administration was pushing for, the supplemental that included some border. Uh, I, I say border it was immigration issues was to give money back to some of these states that are struggling with the immigration issue some of these sanctuary cities like New York City that are looking to the federal government to bail them out because of their leftist policies.
2: Right. That's exactly the problem here. You have these self-induced crises. And by the way, the, the Biden administration isn't mishandling the border immigration. They are doing this deliberately. Uh, and, and you are seeing these state and local governments doing precisely the same things. They are creating situations where they attract people who are in the country illegally, and then they turn around and ask everybody else to bail them out. Whether the money is coming out of state or local coffers uh, or it's coming from the federal government, it's still the people's money. It's our hard-earned dollars that we send in taxes to the governments at various levels of government. Uh, They're supposed to be providing services for us. Uh, Instead, they're taking this money and creating new magnets for people to come here and abuse the system.
1: So, final question for you, Ira, we're up against a break. What is that price tag? Do Do we have an idea of what that total price tag is for the taxpayers here in America?
2: Well, as of last year, and by the way, there's been a considerable number of people who've come in since a year ago, uh, we we pegged it at about $151 billion. That's the, the net cost. As you pointed out earlier, it's $182 billion gross. Uh, but if you subtract the taxes that are paid, uh, whether they're working uh, on bogus Social Security numbers and the government's just collecting it, or it's sales taxes. Uh, it's still a considerable amount of money, $151 billion. It's a lot of uh, money. Even in these days well, is real money.
1: Well, when we're talking about sending, you know, $60 billion over to, uh, to Ukraine, let's shut off the border. We might have a little extra money to work with. Uh, Ira, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Appreciate the insight.
2: A pleasure. Thank you.
1: All right, folks, stick with us. When we come back, we're going to take a deeper look at the Alabama Supreme Court decision that said, guess what, a frozen embryo, a child, is a child. We're going to look at that next. Don't go away. welcome back to Washington watch good to have you with us again the uh, the border text border to 67742 that's 67742 the recent Alabama Supreme Court decision regarding the destruction of embryos that upheld the sanctity of life has Democrats looking to pounce and some Republicans once again looking to play defense on the life issue Run. The Alabama court's decision stems from a case to decide whether parents could sue uh, the Mobile Infirmary uh, Medical Center after their frozen embryos were destroyed at their facility. So what does the court decision actually say? All right. Th- th- this this involves a case with parents who had human embryos created through uh, in vitro fertilization and they were frozen. An incident occurred when an unauthorized individual wandered into the uh, chirogenic nursery and uh, through an unsecured door and removed uh, several human embryos, causing their deaths. Now, the parents sued the IVF center and the hospital for wrongful death under Alabama's wrongful death of a minor act, which has been in place since 1872. Okay. Now, the Supreme Court of Alabama ruled that under Alabama's wrongful death of a minor act, the definition of a child applies to all unborn children, regardless of their location. And this includes embryonic children created through IVF. Now, in allowing the parents of human embryos who were negligently killed to sue under Alabama law, the Alabama Supreme Court decision did not, okay, just so that very clear, it did not ban IVF. No state legislature has attempted to ban IVF, nor has any bill been proposed in Congress that would ban IVF. Moreover, the court's decision concerned Alabama law and was not predicated on Dobbs versus Jackson's Women's Health Organization, even though the case was mentioned. Now, in the days following this decision, several IVF clinics in Alabama have suspended their operations, citing their liability under the ruling. The Alabama Attorney General has since clarified that he does not intend to prosecute IVF providers or families based upon Alabama's Supreme Court decision. In addition, the Alabama state legislature may consider legislation to address this topic. So what's going on here? Joining me now to discuss this, Eric Johnson, president of the Alabama Pro-Life Coalition. Eric, welcome to Washington Watch.
4: Well, thank you for having me. So, Eric, what did I
1: leave out in that description of what took place at the Alabama Supreme Court? Anything?
4: No, you did a very good job summarizing what happened there. Uh, That Supreme Court case has sort of caught everyone by surprise. Uh, I was aware that for several years it had been going on. But when the uh, decision was handed down Friday a week ago, uh, it did uh, shake up everything in the Statehouse. But there's
1: a consistency here. I mean, if a child is a child, it is a child, whether it is in a frozen embryo form or whether it is in in the womb.
4: Absolutely. We have a 2018 constitutional amendment that says the unborn child is entitled to all the protection of the laws in the state of Alabama. Of course, it is an Alabama issue. It's unique to Alabama. Other states that may have similar constitutional amendments may find themselves in the same place. But after Dobbs, when the idea of whether an unborn child is protected was sent back to the states, we had a Human Life Protection Act that prohibited abortion based on this 2018 constitutional amendment. Now, that protected children in utero, and what this court opinion does is it addresses children in vitro, which are two different locations where you may find an unborn child.
1: Right. But the issue here with the, the Supreme Court in Alabama was civil liability of the clinic that allowed this stranger just to kind of wander into this area where these frozen embryos were being destroyed. So this is not a, this is not a criminal case. This is not saying that this is not outlawing IVF. This is saying that this is a child and the parents have a right to take civil action. Correct.
4: That's correct. It's a civil action. It has nothing to do with criminal law. We have a separate criminal law that addresses children in utero. Uh, we don't have a criminal law that addresses children in vitro. And so this was a damage case. And of course, no one should be immune totally from their their acts. They should be responsible for any degree of culpability, whether it's intentional or wanton or even negligent acts. So, uh...
1: This is my take on it, Eric, and correct me if I'm wrong. You're a little closer to it. But the left, you know, having had some success in 2022 on the abortion issue after the Dobbs decision, uh, are seeing another opportunity here to scare Republicans into running away from a fundamental issue of the sanctity of human life.
4: Yes, I'm afraid that's true. Many of the Republicans are not as pro-life as they may claim to be. And these kinds of cases make difficult issues for them to address. Of course, this is unique because I'm not aware of any other time that this has been done, or we've had to have a state law uh, in question. And of course, the IVF is something that many people support. Many people have had children who otherwise might not have children. Uh, it needs to be properly regulated, and that is really the crux of it: is it's not regulated, and so. These IVF clinics have operated with impunity, right. and I think in the end, we need to address uh, their responsibility and how to regulate it, particularly in regards to leftover fertilized frozen eggs. Right. What do you do to those?
1: Right. There's there, there's many of them, in some cases, as you said, they're, they're not regulated, and so there's oftentimes an abundance of these, a lot of them created, and there are millions of frozen embryos lying around the country. It is an issue that needs to be addressed, but not in the form that I think the left wants to address it. Eric Johnston, thanks so much for uh, joining us today. I appreciate uh, your insight.
4: Well, thank you for having me.
1: All right. Eric Johnston, president of the Alabama Pro-Life Coalition. All right. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation, also taking a look at um, the Politico, their reporter that not quite sure where our rights come from next. Don't go away. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us. The website is TonyPerkins.com. There are many resources there for you, as well as contact information for our guest. Again, uh, action items for today. Number one, text the word BORDER to 67742. And go ahead and write down this number. It is the capital switchboard number. It is uh, 202-224-3121. And I'm going to tell you what you're going to need to do with that in just a moment. But that's 202 224 Our word for today comes from Leviticus chapter five. If a person sins in hearing the utterance of an oath and is a witness, whether he has seen or known of the matter, if he does not tell it, he bears guilt. Or if a person touches any unclean thing, whether it is the carcass of an unclean beast or the carcass of an unclean livestock or the carcass of an unclean creeping thing, and he is unaware of it, he also shall be unclean and guilty. All right, when you read Leviticus, you might be tempted to ask how in the world does this apply to us? Well, in the physical, it doesn't. But here's a good way to look at it. The Old Testament speaks to the physical, whereas the New Testament speaks to the spiritual. This focus on the external holiness in the Old Testament tells us that holiness matters. It's not clean hands. It's a clean heart. The hands follow the heart's instructions. Leviticus illustrates for us God's call to holiness. To find out more about our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org slash Bible or text the word Bible to 67742. That's Bible to 67742. All right, continuing our conversation about the Alabama State Supreme Court decision upholding the sanctity of life, has Democrats in Congress looking to seize the issue for political gain. While the legacy media fear mongers about theocracy and Christian nationalism. Now, this is where the phone number comes in. All right. So let me play a clip here for you of um, I played at the top of the program. This is Senator Tammy Duckworth of Illinois. Play clip five.
5: I warned that red states would come for IVF and now they have, but they aren't just going to stop in Alabama Mark my words, if we don't act now, it will only get worse. That's why tomorrow I'm headed to the Senate floor to call on my colleagues to pass, via unanimous consent, my Access to Family Building Act.
1: All right. As I said, they often leave out a few facts. In this case, they left out a lot of facts. Uh, In fact, there's very little truth in what she had to say, other than that she's going to the floor tomorrow in the Senate to try to ram through the Access to Family Building Act. All right? This is uh, Senate Bill 3612. That's why you have the phone number. You need to call your senator and tell them to oppose this bill. Because, first off, as we just talked about, IVF is not under assault. The court's decision dealt with a civil case, The legislature's not doing anything there to prohibit IVF. The court's decision didn't do anything to prohibit IVF. But let me tell you what this bill would do, all right? This bill that Tammy Duckworth was quacking about today, what she is going to advance is legalizing human cloning. Yes, yes, that's in the bill. Human cloning, which is expressly prohibited in several states. It legalizes gene editing or so-called designer babies, again, which is outlawed and prohibited in many states because it's not right. She also legalizes the creation of human-animal chimeras. These are hybrids. All right. This is a form of experimentation on human embryos. There has been a big battle over the years to try to totally prohibit that at the federal level. It's been done at the state level because it's, it's like Frankenstein. It's what we're talking about here. It also legalizes surrogacy nationwide, including commercial gestational surrogacy, which is expressly prohibited in several states. This practice can lead to the exploitation and uh, of, of women and girls in particular. This legalizes the buying and the selling of destruction of human embryos as reproductive genetic materials. In my home state of Louisiana, going all the way back to 1986, prohibits that. All right. So this, they see this as an opportunity to advance their radical anti-life agenda. That's what this is about. All right. 202. 224-3121, Capitol Switchboard, call your two senators and tell them to oppose Tammy Duckworth's bill. It's it's really the Frankenstein bill. It's not the family bill. That's what it's about. Joining me now to talk more about this, David Clausen, director of our Center for a Biblical Worldview here at the Family Research Council. David, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hey, great to be with you as always, Tony. So, so th- there are moral and spiritual theological implications here with this now i v f has has long been controversial because, as we were just talking about with Eric Johnston, it is not regulated, and therefore f- for instance, a couple may go in and you know they they go through the treatments, and it's not just one or two embryos sometimes it could be a dozen or more, and those excess embryos are you know, frozen or destroyed. No, that's right. And that's why Christian
5: ethicists, you know, I'm working on a PhD in ethics, so I guess I could call myself an <laughs> a aspiring ethicist, uh, but kind of there's a long history within Christian ethics of looking at IVF and saying that there is, it's morally fraught. Uh, and, and one of the reasons particularly is that often when you go through a, a cycle, as they're called, of intro, intro, intro <laughs> IVF intro fertilization, you um, Usually it's a dozen, maybe even more uh, embryos. Uh, Now, as Christians, we believe that at conception, when that sperm and egg come together, you have a human being, and you do. You have unique DNA. You have the genetic code. You have everything. But then what happens is they selectively choose which ones to implant uh, in the woman, and then the others are stored in freezers. We have, Tony, today millions of frozen embryos in freezers all over the country, and so— I think that's important to acknowledge. But really what this, to me, this whole kerfuffle in Alabama has revealed is really the worldview of the left, which is a worldview of death. And they're really running with this like they ran after the Dobbs
1: decision. And I think we need to be aware of that. I mean, there's a little bit of hypocrisy here on the the left and and I would say even on the right. Uh, Now, I would say this is why we have to get this right. Um, I, I do think there needs to be regulation over the IVF clinics because, as you say, it is fraught with with problems. Just because science enables us to do something doesn't mean we should do it. I mean, we should be concerned about both the means and the ends uh, of where this would lead us and and it needs to be guided by biblical truth, by morality, as you said, ethics. The problem we're seeing today, in the absence of moral truth, there are no ethics that are st- that are standard and steadfast. It just it's 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 a wild, wild west morally. It is, and you know what's so interesting, Tony, looking at
5: this is a lot of the kind of uh, hand wringing on the left, so to speak, isn't actually on the majority decision that came out of Alabama. It's a concurring opinion that the chief justice uh, wrote. And what's interesting with the Chief Justice, he really did explore kind of the concept of sanctity of life. Uh, That phrase, sanctity of life, appears in the Alabama Constitution. Just being a good lawyer – He kind of said, where did these words come from? What do these words mean? And so he explored the Christian tradition of understanding sanctity of life, image of God. Uh, And he, you know, it was so funny, Tony, for me reading the New York Times write-up on this, where they said, you know, this chief justice was quoting 16th century dead theologians, you know, like John Calvin and whatnot. Well, he was, because Christians have been thinking about these issues for a very long time. It's not that we just thought of these in a right-wing think tank last week. We've been thinking deeply about these issues for centuries. centuries, Tony, and one of those principles is a high view of life
1: that every single person is made in God's image. Transcendent value. Uh, It's not value assigned to it. It is value that is inherent in it because it is created in the image of God. I I, I think we have—we may have stumbled onto something here with with this and with what I'm about—this clip I'm about to play is that The left has controlled our educational institutions for so long that these foundational ideas now seem to be foreign. Um, Let's play clip number eight.
6: The thing that unites them as Christian nationalists, not Christians, by the way, because Christian nationalists is very different, Mm -hmm. is that they believe that our rights as Americans, as all human beings, don't come from any earthly authority. They don't come from Congress, they don't come from the Supreme Court, they come from God. The problem with that is that they are determining man, men, Mm -hmm. and it is men, are determining what God is telling them.
1: We hold these truths to be self-evident, that we are endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights, among them life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I I think I actually read that in one of our documents. Oh, that's right, the Declaration (laughs) of Independence. So we have a reporter here, Politico. Uh, This was Heidi uh, uh, Presabella. She was just saying that, You know, these Christian nationalists believe it. This goes back to what you were saying about the New York Times writing. This is some kind of ancient writing here. This is consistent with the worldview and the writings of our founders and the foundational documents of this country.
5: It is, Tony. So so that Politico um, author right there who is on MSNBC, I have no doubt that she was very sincere in what she was saying. But she was
1: sincerely wrong.
5: She believed that she was telling, uh, revealing, you know, if you played the fuller clip, she even says that I've consulted with experts. She says, I've consulted with experts and realized that Christians believe, not she actually says not Christians, but the so-called Christian nationalists, believe that rights don't come from the Supreme Court or Congress, but they come from God. Well, my goodness, who knew that Thomas Jefferson was a raging Christian nationalist? That's news to me.
1: (laughs) We need to go back and change some of those uh, history books, if that's the case. But this, you know, either, either there is a deficit of understanding and of knowledge among the elite in this country, or they think that the general populace is so ignorant of their past that they can get by with this.
5: Uh, it's probably both, honestly, Tony. And I think it's, it's this gives us an opportunity because also what Heidi did in that uh, later in the clip, she invokes what she called the so-called natural law. Well, my goodness, the natural law, again, is centuries of Christians thinking. I as a Protestant, I you know, believe in special revelation is most important, God's revealed word through the Bible, but we also believe in natural revelation, right. that God reveals himself. It's
1: the moral law, the natural law, Paul writes about this in, in Romans chapter 2, it's inscribed on the hearts of man. Uh, so this has long been a part of our... Uh, Our judicial system, our our legal system, our our understanding of the law. In fact, uh, I remember when Clarence Thomas was uh, before the Supreme Court or before the Congress, the Senate, to be confirmed, this was a big issue back then. Yeah. Uh, and, and so we, we've seen for decades now the left trying to repudiate and remove the whole concept of natural law, replacing it totally with positive law, yes. which is man-made law that can be whatever you want, and it's un, it's it's kind of like moving morals away from the gold standard Um, you know because once you move it away from the gold standard you can do whatever you want to it that's what we've done with our economy that's what we've done with our uh, currency that's what you do with morals with positive law you move it away from any anchored truth
5: Yeah, and let's be clear. You you quoted Jefferson's uh, Declaration of Independence. He talks about unalienable rights. We need to realize what the founders realized is that government doesn't grant rights, it merely recognizes rights, it secures those rights, it defines those rights, but it doesn't grant. Any rights? These are rights that are inherent, uh, that they were given to us by the Creator. And again, this is—again, there are a lot—many of our founders, a lot of them were believers. Some of them were not. Some were deist. They all had this understanding. And even before then, this is the English common law a tradition. And so I think Heidi, in that clip, probably thought she was revealing some really, you know, deep, hidden conspiracy among the right wing that we believe these things— And it's just, I I almost pity her, uh, that this lack
1: of historical understanding. This is coming. I mean, I go back, you were talking about the New York Times, talking (laughs) about the Alabama decision. So this is not like a one-off. This is not uh, an outlier. This has now become the mainstream media, and the worldview has been revealed. And I think it's becoming clearer and clearer. So with that in mind, David Clausen... How should we, as believers in the 21st century, respond to these very serious issues? Because our future is more determined by what we believe our past and foundation to be than than what it really is. And so, if we're being Absolutely. if we're being deceived about who we are as a people and our foundation and these and this fundamental understanding of rights, I mean, we can be led. Who knows where?
5: We can. So blocks from where we're sitting right now, Tony, is the National Archives building. Right outside, they have a statue that says the past is prologue. Uh, And what they're inviting people is come learn about the documents, look at the Constitution, look at the Declaration of Independence, look at the Bill of Rights, understand uh, why we have these documents, what they mean, what they have historically mean. And it's true, past is prologue. So we need to understand our past. We need to understand our history. But it really is. Absolutely. And as Christians, we need to understand the whole storyline of Scripture from creation, Fall, redemption, restoration. So we need to know our own history. We also need to know biblical history. Uh, And I think as we do that, we'll be able to recognize when someone on
1: MSNBC says something that's you know crazy. We'll be able to understand that. But it goes beyond just understanding. Understanding is the first step, but having the confidence of that understanding gives us the ability to push back and say, "No, this is not true. It is not right. It is false." And we need to call. We need to start calling out. A lie for what it is. It is a lie. Absolutely. Well, what is wisdom? Wisdom is rightly applied knowledge,
5: and so I think we need to know the the right answer, uh, and then we do need to apply that, and we need to embody that, and I'm flying to Alaska tomorrow to speak to some pastors, Tony. We need to, especially our leaders, need to be teaching this to our people in our congregations.
1: Well, unfortunately, it's not salmon season, so I guess you won't (laughs) be fishing. David Clausen, always great to see you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. Thank you, Tony. And folks, check out our Center for Biblical Worldview. Lots of resources there for you. You can find it at TonyPerkins.com or FRC.org. And call your senators. All right, this bill has to be stopped. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand.